Our first scripture this morning is Psalm chapter 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters and restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verses 47 through 53. Hear now the word of our Lord. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, if you can believe this, this is the last week that we're going to be focusing on the miracles of Jesus. We've been doing this for so long, it seems, since the very first Sunday of the year. And yet, we're not going to stop talking about the miracles of Jesus. Of course, we won't. We never will, because that's part of what we do as Christians. But as we move into a new season of the church, as we move into the season of Lent, our focus is going to shift a little bit. We're going to be talking about slightly different things, but the message is still the same at the core of it all. So for the past, gosh, eight weeks now, I guess, we've been talking about how we can see God, about how God reveals himself in our lives through our own experiences of faith but also how God reveals himself through scripture, and in particular, these miracles of Jesus that we've been talking about. After all, if we want to see God, if we want to know what God is like and what God does, then where better to look at what he did through his son, Jesus Christ, on earth? But more than just knowing how we can see God, we want to also know how we can understand God's will for us in our lives, how we can know him more fully every day, and how knowing him can help us to live lives of faith and faithfulness as we walk from one moment to the next. And so what we've seen over the past several weeks is that Jesus' healing miracles show us so much about the nature of God. We can see as Jesus heals everywhere that he goes that God is one who wants for things to be set right. 
that none of this is how it was meant to be or how it was designed to be, but that God is at work drawing us back to his perfection. That sickness, the sickness that Jesus healed, was not part of the original design. Through the miracles of Jesus, we can see that God is one who wants us to be healed not only physically, but also spiritually. As Jesus not only cured lepers of their disease, but also cast out demons everywhere that he went. And when he healed people physically or spiritually, he always invited them, go and show yourselves to the priests and bring your offerings to the temple so that you can enter back in to right relationship with your people. He wants us to be healed spiritually so that we can enjoy a full and proper relationship, not just with each other, but more importantly, with him. And more than anything else, we can see through the miracles of Jesus that he wants us to know the joy of his salvation. Because it is a good and joyful thing wherever healing can be found, and we know that healing is found through Jesus. But one of Jesus' most revealing traits isn't just that he healed people. There were others in Scripture who, in God's name, performed healings where they went. There were other prophets that worked miracles in the name of the Lord, but Jesus performed them more fully, more perfectly, and more importantly than that. We can see a lot about who God is by looking at who he healed. We started off as close to Jesus as you can come. He worked a miracle at a wedding by the request of his mother, his family. And then as he went out from there, he worked miracles at the request of common townspeople, his people who came to him asking to be healed and to have demons cast out. But then he takes it a step further and begins healing strangers who come to him not only as strangers, but as those with leprosy, those who are not welcome in the towns. And then he keeps on going. And as we saw last week, Jesus heals a man at the request of a Roman centurion. One of those soldiers who stood guard on the streets and watched over Jesus and his neighbors and his friends and his family. The very people who were oppressing them. And yet when one came to Jesus to ask for healing, not even on his own behalf, but rather for his servant, Jesus healed again. One of Jesus' most revealing traits is that he treated his enemies with the same love as his friends. As I read this and was thinking, well, what am I going to say? One of the things that I realized is that I'm not sure that I've ever had a proper enemy. I don't know exactly what it means to have much more than a rival. And sometimes I've wondered if maybe we're missing out on things when we don't have that. It can be compelling to have someone that you're competing with. I know I had a reading rival once upon a time when I was in elementary school. My mom was a teacher. Her mom was a teacher. They taught at schools that we did not go to, so we got to spend an hour in the library every morning. And for, a, for an elementary school student, that's a long time. 
But more importantly than that, we were on a point system. So you would read a book and you'd take a test on a computer and then you'd get some points. And if you got enough points, you got a free book. If you got enough points, you got a pizza party for your class. Or best of all, if you got enough points, you got to be librarian for a day. These were big things for someone that young. And yet I always came up just a little bit short, just a little bit behind this other girl. And I remember the, uh, how compelling it could be to have somebody that I was competing with. And yet, looking back, that wasn't an enemy. I spent more time with this girl than just about anybody else in my class because we spent an hour or so together every single morning. So I don't know exactly what it means to have enemies like this. But friends, if you look back at the early church, if you look back at Jesus, they knew what it meant to have enemies. They didn't just have reading rivals, people who were competing for the most points. Jesus, in this scripture, was being approached by the group that would lead him to the cross where he would die. Friends, one of the biggest markers of the Christian faith is how we treat people who are actively working against us. Because it's one of the most distinguishing traits of Jesus' life. It's what sets Jesus apart from so many others. Is that his teaching for us was that it's easy to love your friends. Anybody can do that. But what he calls us to is to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute us. This can be hard for people like me who don't know what it means to have real enemies, not like this. And yet, no matter how big or small the conflict, we are still called to love in the midst of it. So what did Jesus do? What does it mean to love your enemies? If we're going to love as Christ has loved, then what has Jesus done? Well, first, Jesus prayed for his enemies. As he hung on the cross and looked down at the soldiers who were gambling with his clothes. At the people who had called for him to be hung on that cross. At the people who gave him vinegar to drink instead of water when he was thirsty. At those who would pierce his side at the end. He prayed for them. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a powerful prayer by a man who is dying. If we look at Romans, we see this carried through, not just by Jesus, but by those who followed him as well. Paul, in Romans 12, writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Friends, I ask, Jesus prayed for his enemies, so what shall we do for ours? We know that prayer makes a difference. We know that prayer makes an impact on the world. Scripture tells us that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful. God works through prayer, not only on us, although he does work through us, but he works on others too. Because for us to humble ourselves and to pray for those who are working against us, in big ways or in small ways. 
that can change your life. That's a way of opening yourself to the work of God's Spirit that transforms us. But not only that, God works through our prayers on the lives of other people first because, simply, it's a powerful testimony. If someone is working against you and you take the time to pray for them anyway, then that is attesting to the power of Jesus Christ, to the confidence that we can have in Him, and to the strength that He gives us. But more than that, we believe that God can use our prayers to change other people as well, to bring them back to Him in the same way that we are being brought back to Him. So Jesus prayed for His enemies. Friends, we ought to pray for ours. But then he takes it a step further. Jesus healed his enemies as well. We see it with the centurion that comes and asks for his servant to be healed. We've seen tax collectors, the most hated people in Jewish society because they worked for their oppressors. We've seen them healed spiritually by Jesus, cured of the spirit of greed from their cynicism. We've seen them healed so deeply that they turned from their old ways that they would sell everything that they had gained at the expense of others and give it all to the poor and turn and follow Christ. And now, in this scripture, this morning, Jesus reattaches a guy's ear even as a crowd is leading him to his own death. Friends, Jesus healed his enemies. So what shall we do for ours? It is a hard and terrifying thing for us to serve our enemies. For us to spend time not only not working against people who are working against us, but to work for them instead. And yet it's so, so important. It's a hard thing to be sure to go to somebody who is an enemy of yours and tell them, I am going to work as hard as I can for your benefit. And yet, the psalm that we read this morning tells us that God prepares his place for us in the presence of our enemies. So for as terrifying as it might be, for as hard as it might be to go to them with a spirit of service, and generosity, we can also go with a spirit of courage because we know that our strength is not our own, but is God's. We can go knowing that we, as the Psalms say, are like trees planted beside the water of life, that we might stand firm on his promises, even in the presence of our enemies. So God gives us peace, and when we can serve when we can serve even the hardest to serve, it can change our lives because it cultivates within us a spirit of obedience, of holiness, of reverence, and of worship. It testifies to other people about God's power that we would go and serve, that we would do so with peace in His name. And again, If we work to change other people's lives, God can use our actions, can use our lives 
to bring them back to him as well. So Jesus healed his enemies, and so should we work for them. But most importantly, most powerfully, and most significantly of all, more than anything else, we can see the power in the fact that Jesus didn't just heal his enemies, and he didn't just pray for them, but he died for them as well. We can see that Jesus died not only for his family and not only for his townsfolk, not only for the people who had been following him for years, but he died for the centurions that led him to the cross. He died for the soldiers gambling for his clothes and those who mocked him as he bled and died. He died for those who called for his execution because he died for his enemies. And friends, that means that he died for us as well. Because if there's one thing that the New Testament is clear about, it's that without Christ, there is no health in us. All good within us is from Christ. Paul is clear. We deserve nothing. And yet through Jesus... Because he died for us, we are given everything. As it says in Romans 5, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners proves God's love for us. And so if Jesus was willing to do that for us, his enemies, then we have to ask, what are we willing to do for ours what lengths will we go to to show the love of Christ to the people around us? We can pray and we can serve. As followers of Christ, we're called to lives of generosity. Friends, standing on the promises of God, nourished by his living water, at the feast that he has prepared for us in the presence of our enemies, we can do more than we think is possible because we don't stand on our own strength at all, but stand on his alone. We can look at the hostility and the division that surrounds us and, like Christ, say, no more of this. This isn't what the kingdom looks like. His mind is a kingdom of peace. Friends, we can trust in the Lord we can do the hard things that he's called us to do, and we can see how God changes lives, how he changes our lives, how he changes the lives of our enemies, and friends, how he is changing the lives of everyone all throughout our world and our communities. Thanks be to God, by whose power all of this is possible. Amen.